Hello, Bridge Builders! I'm here with some exciting news. The first volume of interviews is now available on Amazon.com. The link can be found at eatlunchandboardgame.com. I promise that all proceeds from sales of this book will go right back into this podcast and channel. Whether that is new and better audio equipment for the podcast, or video equipment for the YouTube channel, or even more games to review, the money will not be wasted. Click over to Amazon and get your copy of Eat Lunch and Board Game, the first course today. And thank you for supporting the show. Welcome back to Eat Lunch and Board Game. I'm your host, Adam Collins. With me today is fellow podcaster, designer, board game contest creator, and future publisher, Chris Anderson. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. So right before we hit record here, I, I was starting to tell a story. And I'm like, no, let's wait, and I'll tell it on the podcast. Uh, we talked about board games building bridges. That's kind of my catch line, tagline. So the way I got back around to you is pretty hilarious. So when I started my design company and wanting to design games, a friend of mine said to listen to a couple of podcasts in your board game design workshop was one of them. Yeah. And so I listened. So I just binged through so many, so much of your hard work and, and months and months of your life. I, I listened to in the matter of a week, maybe two. I've done that same thing to other podcasts. I just feel like. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's where I came across uh, Chip Bobay and yeah. his game Universal Rule, which is just, I love it. I, oh, I, it's fantastic. Oh, it's my an gosh. Amazing, my f- an amazing achievement. It, absolutely. Who could who would have thought you could make a 4X game out of 18 cards and a bunch of cubes? And so then I had him on my show, and then he told you to listen to it, and now... Here you are on my show. So we've come like the full circle of life here. The, the full bridge is now built uh, back around to where I started. So uh, when you told me, when you reached out to me and said that your buddy Chip, I'm like, oh, man. And I was like, holy cow, think about that circle that just happened. Uh, so that was, a, a, like I said, I just want to tell that one on the podcast itself. But go ahead, Chris, and tell everybody uh, who you are and what you do for the community, the uh, gaming community. Uh, yeah, so I'm Chris Anderson. I'm a designer. I host the Board Game Workshop podcast and design contest, which is live now. So that's what we might talk about a bit. Um, I've also designed a couple games released by Buttonshy. I designed Invino Morte and Tempest Quest. Um, Invino Morte. Oh my God. That is like one of the best icebreaker games ever. <laughs> Thank you. I would love to say, and I don't know the numbers, but I would love to think that I have caused a lot of downloads on that off of PMP Arcade. <laughs> I hope so. I appreciate oh my, it. Oh my gosh. I, I bought it, downloaded it, printed it off and everything. It took it to a couple game nights, and I'm not a very shy person, as you can probably <laughs> imagine. And I walked up to the, you know, these tables of people. I don't know anybody there. And I'm like, can I show you a game? And I have my own game, Fences, that's, you know, sitting over there that I'm actually trying to sell. Yeah. But my icebreaker game is Invino Morte. <laughs> I use that game all the time. I sit down and I'm like, so this game is like, what if we played that scene out in The Princess Bride? <laughs> and they just look at you like, okay, I'm, you, you, you've got my entry. Now that's wow it. me. That's the whole thing. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I, I'm done. That's the game. Like that's that's the game. Like you can't trust the the cup in front of me, but I but I can't trust the cup in front of you. Oh my god! And Vino Morte, PMP Arcade, go get it! Fantastic. The bigger <laughs> the you. crowd, the better. Oh my oh, god! Yeah, definitely. Oh, get eight nine people together and play that game. It is phenomenal. It's so fun to watch people overthink, underthink. Did he poison himself? Would he be so stupid as to poison himself? <laughs> the answer to that is always yes. I will poison myself. So never take the cup in front of me. But now that you've said that on the podcast, they can't trust. <laughs> That's part of your plan. Right. The meta goes forever. You're never not <laughs> playing. Exactly. Oh my God. And Vino Morte, oh, one of my favorite games, like I said, it's such a great icebreaker game. You can walk up to any table of people you don't even know and be like, so 
have you ever wanted to be in the Princess Bride? Because I've got the game for you. <laughs> and from there on, they're your friends for the rest of the night. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. I just love that no game. Problem. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, in Vino Morte, Tempest Quest, which is part of my Tempest system, which is it's like rolling rights, but it doesn't involve dice. You use the date and time as a hash to create the board and do your actions. There's actually someone, and I forget the name, so I feel terrible, but they just started doing playthroughs of the Tempest Quest series because it's a 13-episode campaign, and I think they just released Zero, One, and Two. So I've been watching those, and I designed it, I want to say two years ago, but I don't remember. Maybe three. <laughs> um, so I haven't seen and it in a while. Time is relative. Time yeah, is this, relative. This last year was you know a couple of years long. And just watching someone play it again after so long, like I, I finished it up. It was a very stressful project, but we got it done. And then I wanted to play it. I kept thinking, I'm going to play this someday. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do like the whole thing together, not designing it. And I haven't gotten to, but this person is doing it so I can watch them. And that's much easier. <laughs> you can live vicariously. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's a lot of fun. So is that up on PMP Arcade? Yes. Also, so here's a tip. I think it's $3 an episode on PMP Arcade which would make the full thing a $36 game. It's not a $36 game. Go to the Button Shy Board Game of the Month Club. It's a couple dollars on their Patreon, and then you have access to all the episodes, if they're still in the Dropbox. But Board Game of the Month Club is great. I recommend it. I've been a member for a long time. It's how I have almost a complete collection of Button Shy games, which is <laughs> it's a tough thing. I'm missing just a couple of the small ones from the beginning. I, I've but, got uh, my, my sets over here in the PMP folder in various states. I've printed out laminated nice. not cut out no nope. haven't got <laughs> that <a> far <laughs> that's why i get the printed versions i can't put it in that work i mean i haven't played most of them but they're there in a wallet on a shelf <laughs> they look good they do you get their nice little boxes you get to stuff them all into <laughs> actually i found out the expansion boxes for scythe the uh, you know the long ones mm -hmm. those are exactly the right size <laughs> So I have those set up on my shelf as like a little uh, mini shelf of wallets. That's and amazing. I've got, I've got all the wallets, which is high 60s now. So it's it's a hard thing to store until I found those boxes. Oh, but, man. Uh, that's, that's yeah, we're awesome. way off the rails now. Yeah, we well. Button Shy's yeah. great. That's the point of this podcast. Oh, I love Button Shy. Tagmire's got a great company going over there. Indeed. Uh, Go buy Vino Morte and <laughs> other games. By all means, get Vino Morte. Oh, my gosh. So, how did you get into gaming? So, I mean, I, I played games as a kid, like most most people today grew up with Candyland, Monopoly, Scrabble, Pictionary. My family always played games. Like, uh, my uncles and aunts would come over to the house, they'd have a family game night, and I was always too young to play. And all I wanted to do was play. They're playing Pictionary, they're playing Trivial Pursuit. Balderdash was a great one. I always wanted to play. By the time I'm old enough, like 12, 13, <laughs> they're like, okay, you can play now couple weeks later they just stopped showing up everyone's too busy the whole thing falls apart <laughs> it was like five years straight they did this until i was old enough it was all a part of their meta plan right there exactly <laughs> but um, i'm the oldest of three brothers so uh, i've always played games with them we played hero quest when we were younger that was a great one being the oldest i was always in charge of things and fighting with them over the rules so <laughs> i couldn't that help happens. but become a designer but that, that's part of being the oldest you have it to is. kind of play the referee and the, the exactly. DM. you got to adjudicate that's right. Yeah, so my love of games started at a very early age. Then in uh, late middle school, eighth grade, I found out about Magic the Gathering. That was a hole that I dove down for a very long time. I, I just got Magic Arena on my phone now. It's so dangerous. I have dropped a lot of hours into that thing. So it's great, but it is terrible. Yeah. Productivity-wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they've made a lot, of, a lot of advancements in getting new players in recently with different packages and games and styles and stuff. But, I mean, it's definitely one of the greatest games of all time, but it is a massive sink of money and time. <laughs> so if you can stay out of it, stay away. Like, I recommend yeah. never playing it if you cannot. But yeah, it's wonderful that... <laughs> if you do. <laughs> I highly recommend playing this game, but if you don't, don't do it because it's a money suck. It is. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a lifestyle. It's very hard. It's, like, even the minimum, like if you have some friends and they build a deck and you just go and play, Maybe you get away only dropping a couple hours a week on it. But even then, you dropped a couple hours a week on it. And a couple anyway. dollars a week. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not talk about that part of it. But yeah, Magic's great. I played Magic for, I think it's 23 years now or something. A long time. 22 years? I forget. Very long time. Um, but I met a lot of my current friends through Magic. 
and they introduced me to modern games. Uh, so I had one friend that we play Race for the Galaxy. I was like, this is fun, but I never, I never looked into hobby games. They were just they were around. They were like at the shop, so I'd see Munchkin and stuff, but I never played it. I never played Catan. And then one day my friend invites me over. He's like, oh, we're gonna play some board games. I'm like, sure, sounds fun. I used to like board games. So we play Eclipse, and it. I mean, at this point, I can say it literally changed my life. That night playing Eclipse, I was introduced to a very different game that did so much stuff so elegantly. And for whatever reason, like that night, I got the bug. And I was like, I want to design games. And I've not stopped since then. That was 2014. Holy crap. Seven years. So seven years ago. Yeah. And it was not good at first. I like to think I got a little better. But yeah, that's what really hooked me in. That game of Eclipse was the bridge from magic and all that mass magret stuff to so deep in this hobby now. And that got me into podcasting. And there was no getting out of it. No. I no, think about it's... it sometimes. And I'm like, oh, if I just stopped with the games, I have so much time. I'm like, what would I do? Yeah. What would I even do with my life? I don't even know what to do. What was my life before games? Yeah, I got into uh, Catan was what really kind of brought me in. Uh, we played a lot of Monopoly, the you know, the Parker yeah. Brothers, Milton Bradley games. Then my friend, what really kind of got me away from it was he had Access and Allies, like the, the Game Master edition. And man, we would play that all weekend. And <laughs> he was terrible at it, which is like, like surprise. Like, how <laughs> That's why I took all weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were talking about analysis paralysis. This guy was the, the king of that. Um, and then like, you know, that kind of got me away from, you know, the standard roll and move game. And then my cousin taught me Catan and it was just over. I still haven't played it with another person. I played the app against the computer a little bit, but never with a person. Well, that's what started the whole lunchtime thing in my office was I was playing it on the app while at lunch. And I'm like, well, I can bring the game in and teach <laughs> you guys how to play. And then next thing I know, it's been like two, three, four years. We've got people, 20, 30 people playing and so many games. And it's become a lifestyle. And now that's awesome. my podcast. So... <laughs> So you say Catan, which is good. It's not Catan, it's Catan. So we can kind of glance by that question. I was thinking of trying something different for the podcast. I was like, oh, it's Catan. No, I couldn't help it. I would have hit stop and this would have been over. <laughs> like the rest of the audio between Chris and I was lost. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> it's a tragic accident. <laughs> it's tragic. Uh, so your f- current favorite game, the game that's sitting out on your table mm. right now. So those are two different things. Well, the, the game currently on my table, like I'm looking at it right now, is Stuff Fables. <laughs> uh, my wife and I just started going through the campaign a couple days ago. Uh, she bought it a while ago now, like a year. We finally got around to it. It is really enjoyable. It's adorable. Like I love the like the whole stuffies doing the adventure. That is great. The rules are way more complex than I expected from what <laughs> is geared towards like kind of a family game, like playing with your kids. And we have messed up rules in every single scenario so far, which is one scenario. It took us two nights to do one scenario, and we messed it up a bunch of times. So it's like it's it's very much a theme first kind of thing. So you have you have your rules, and then you have all these exceptions for this one because this guy, oh yeah, you don't follow this rule because it's more exciting and thematic. But ah, it's it's tough. It's tougher than I expected. But it's it's great. It's enjoyable. Love the story. Great production. Just got to learn the rules. <laughs> <laughs> the hard part, that rule book. Yeah, yeah, I'm never, not a fan of that. But uh, favorite game, this is, you know, it's a difficult question. But I, I usually go with Race for the Galaxy. Uh, like I said, I was playing that before I was even into hobby games. And I was enjoying it before I even understood how to play it. And winning before I understood how to play it. I was like, <laughs> oh, I just go for these brown diamonds and then I get a bunch of points. Well, then once you learn how to play the game, you never win again because you actually have a strategy. Oh, yeah, it's so much yeah. harder now. Yeah, yeah, not knowing, you're way better off. That's how I, I win a bunch of games that way, and I'm like, oh, I love this game, and I buy it, and I never win it again. <laughs> I just need this card. I just need this card. If you don't know, you can't try for it. So but, being a teacher, do you play games at lunch or use games in your classes? So generally, no. I So technically, I'm not a teacher. So I run the TV studio at a high school, and I work for the local cable company. So I'm kind. my office is in the school but I am separate from all of the school people. So I know the teachers I work with, but I don't really interact with people. 
So I don't have anyone to play games with at lunch. Occasionally I'll play like apps on my phone, uh, like board game apps, or like I said, Magic Arena is taking up all my time. But because I run a TV studio and we shoot TV shows, I do manage to slip some game shows in for the kids. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I assume you're familiar with Flip the Table? Oh, yeah. So I've, I've adapted a couple of their game shows they've done, trying to get the kids into that. I've worked out Wits and Wagers versions and stuff and trying to get them more interesting games. Uh, we used to have projects where they would make their own game shows, and it was always a sports trivia show. Every single time. <laughs> like, this is the high school hockey trivia. I'm like, okay, but no one knows that except you. <laughs> Your contestants are not on there. There's one time where a group of seniors, and apparently, I did not know this until they did the show, high schoolers, at least a couple years ago, were very into Friends. Like the show Friends that went off the air before they were born. They're obsessed <laughs> with it. So they did a Friends trivia show, and they had three people on it, that just knew every bit of trivia about friends. It was absurd. It was like watching the highest level Jeopardy players talk about friends. It was a great show because you need contestants that have a chance of getting the questions. If you just ask like, oh, which friend of mine on the hockey team did this? No one knows. That's not a good show. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the extent I can get gaming into my job. Well, it's better than nothing. It is better than nothing. So if you could play games at your job with people you may or may not work with or work for, what would be your go-to 60-minute game? Yeah, so I got to go with Race for the Galaxy. It's, I mean, if we're doing well, we could probably get it done in a little less than 60, but the, the engine building is great. The different paths you can go to, the, I don't know, I just love everything about that game. It's just, it hits all the right buttons for me in a game. Like, I love simple production with just the deck of cards and just all the engine building that comes out of that. And the overly complex symbolism, symbolism, symbology, mm, symbols, the overly complex symbols uh, that now I understand. And I feel like a very smart person because I cracked that code. But yeah, Race for the Galaxy, it's great. I try iconography. Sure. Yeah, that's a better one. That's a much better one. Well, I don't teach Doesn't really, Exactly. This is why I, I, just, yeah, I, do, I don't do that. I can tell you that. So if you had a lunch half hour, a 30 minute game. What is your, What are you reaching for? Cockroach Poker. Uh, it's my favorite quick game. It's it's amazing. It's part of the inspiration for Envino Morte. I love lying to people in games. Sheriff of Nottingham <laughs> is another one that's way at the top of my list. Like I will have so much fun with Sheriff of Nottingham just lying to people and passing the bag and losing the game. It's just fun. But so how does uh, how do you like bang? Like setting up lying to people and bang. I've never played bang. Oh man, that's that's a great it, game. Of, it sounds good. I should I should try it out, but it's a social deduction game. It's I'm not a big fan of the social deduction games, but when you have bang, it's just it's fun because you know the only person that know that everybody knows is who the sheriff is. Everybody else is a mystery, and everybody's claiming that they're the deputy, so that they're trying to help the sheriff until that one person decides. Screw it! I'm shooting the sheriff, and then it's this all-out war at that point. I'm like, "Why are you shooting me? I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> I am a bad guy." You know, that's how the whole game just falls apart. It's great. That does sound great. I love social deduction. It's just it's really hard to get a big enough group for social deduction, well, especially, especially now. Right I now. mean, <laughs> two-player social deduction is a little tricky. Yeah, <laughs> it's something I've tried to work on. <laughs> I'm not the bad guy. You must be the bad guy. Remember, the bad guy is always the hero of his own story. Uh, so, uh, the micro game, hidden gem, guilty pleasure. I'm going to start bust out in Vito Morte again. I think you should once you find <laughs> enough people. That's I'll take that though. It's, it's something I haven't really pushed lately because not a lot of people can get it. I mean, it works at oh, two. Man. It technically the single game plays two to sixteen, but it's not great at two. It's real quick. No, it, yeah. <laughs> One hand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so go to micro game. I got to go with Sprawlopolis. Like, that's just an amazing design. That's a good one. Like, Circle the Wagons was good. But then when they reworked it for Sprawlopolis, it's just amazing. And I mean, the sales numbers also bear that out. But uh, I even printed off a micro version of that on half size cards so I can play it on my desk at work. <laughs> uh, it's just, an, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. 
just like we were I talking like about with Universal Rule. It's just one of those oh. one of those achievements that goes like so far beyond the 18 cards. Like lots of the 18 yeah. card games are good and they do fancy stuff, but it's one of those ones that's just so much more game than you expect. Oh yeah, Sprawlopolis is good. I I back and got uh, Agropolis, Agropolis. Yeah, yeah, I got that one. Haven't played it yet because yeah. I'm too busy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's printed off and laminated somewhere around <laughs> where I'm sitting right now. It has not been cut out. I can, I get I can the promise you that. Can combine them? I, th- I think so. I think I did. And if not, I'll just go hit up PMP Arcade and buy it. I'm sure it's a couple <laughs> bucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, be careful going to PMP Arcade because everything's a couple of bucks, and that's how they get you. Yeah, and they have a ton of free stuff, too. So well, yes, you can get overwhelmed without even losing a dollar. <laughs> I think I have a folder of that too. <laughs> I don't know. I was just thinking about Liberation, the hidden movement game. I haven't played that one yet. It's a great two player game. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I haven't played most of it yet, I can say. Actually, that was another thing I wanted to do is a playthrough of all the button shy games and do it as like a stream or something. Like, oh, that'd be great. I'm like, I don't have time for that. A lot of them play two player. Yeah, but you got you to read the rules, you got to play the game. That's like 20 minutes. <laughs> and then you don't even then you know you got to have enough people to play some of them yeah like in vino morte and vino morte the, the more the merrier man i've got that one done a few times yeah i'm sure you have so kickstarter are you a creator a backer both neither uh, i'm a backer i'm i hope to be a creator soon uh, like we talked about before the show i just started my publishing company so i'm working towards that and hope to release something Probably next year. I don't think anything's going to come together this year unless it goes very quickly suddenly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've been a backer for a while. I was a super backer at one point. I think you lose that if you stop backing as much. I've definitely calmed down since I stopped playing games. But uh, I'll back all my, all my friend stuff for a dollar. So you know, yeah. I always stay in and pay attention to it all. It's uh, it just as, as a designer and as a future publisher, it's important to pay attention to this whole kickstarter world yeah and you know i think what i've been doing a lot lately is backing a lot of them at the pnp level and yeah printing them off playing them you know it's that's a growing market and then there's the games that i don't back at the pnp <laughs> level and they're surrounding me of my and me and my uh, shelf of shame it's a very picturesque shelf of shame <laughs> I, I think i've played most of these that are sitting around me right now but i've got a whole the stack you can't see off camera over here. <laughs> That's the shame. I, it's a, it's a I, way. Yeah. I tell the wife, no, no, those are research for future podcast episodes. So that's what I found out. They're, yeah. they're a tax write-off now that I have a company. Well, they can be, yeah. But yeah, I've got a whole stack over here. I'm working on a podcast episode on uh, Monopoly games that aren't Monopoly, but use the IP. <laughs> As I always like to say, I use my time and my money but uh so you know of monopoly my uh my hidden gem guilty pleasure game is the farming game have you heard of this i don't think so it's the game that was designed on the seat of a tractor that's their tagline it probably wasn't that's a weird place to design a game <laughs> uh, this is one of the games we got when i was a kid and like it's got the board based off monopoly you walk around the square you roll your dice but it's also like a deep economic farming game where you're buying crops and like the board is a year so as you go around different sections you're not buying property on the board you're going through different harvests so there's like a huge wheat harvest section because that's the cheap stuff that you get to harvest all the time then there's a very small section to harvest your fruit so if you roll poorly you just don't harvest fruit that year and fruit's big money so you spend all your money (laughs) on these fruit trees you skip the harvest you have all this money you're in debt to the bank because you start off in debt it's not here's the money it's here's money and debt this you game have to get, sounds like, amazing. It, I mean, it's probably terrible oh. by today's standards, but it's also fantastic. <laughs> like you can't. Every game's terrible by today's standards. That's, that's awesome. True. But I think it's. I want to say like probably made in '79. I think oh it's still god. in print though. Oh my god! But it's and like you can't just buy equipment. You have to like get an option to buy a tractor, and then you can spend money to buy a tractor, which you know means more debt. But if you have the tractor, then your neighbors, your other players, have to pay you when they harvest because you're letting them borrow your tractor. <laughs> so this I is, really want to play it again. What? It's probably terrible, 
but it's, it's, it's like 35 bucks i think on amazon or oh my like, god right? well i know what so that's that's how my shelf of shame is growing is because i talk to people like you that tell me about these crazy <laughs> games that then i have to track down and i don't play them but i buy them anyway holy cow the farming game i'm gonna i, I wrote that down that is definitely going to become my next uh purchase to sit on my shelf of shame <laughs> no it's uh, it's and the, the crops you buy are little uh, little vinyl color forms, so they stick on the board. So you get like this little square that's like a fruit tree, and you stick it on your farm, because you have a farm on the board. <laughs> and where you play stuff doesn't really matter, but you have your own area. Like, it would be just as easy to just have a card in front of you, but you stick <laughs> but, it to the board, because they, the, they made that. Because, yeah, color forms were huge in the 80s, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a really interesting game. I think, mechanically, it's probably a little rough, but it's it was definitely the first like economic game I played decades before I got into any of the modern euros and stuff. And it has that same kind of feel like you're, it's just super mean money wise. And I don't, you don't have to feed your people. I don't think. And you do get free money when you pass go or start or whatever they call it. It's like winter job in town or something. <laughs> Probably not go based on, uh, how, how, uh, Sue happy and, uh, <laughs> Parker Brothers, and I guess it's Hasbro now, but uh, oh yeah, probably, man, probably not. I'm going to I'm going to dig that one up. That sounds absolutely spectacular. And you're right; it probably is absolutely terrible, but it's going to be nostalgic for you, and it's going to be humorous for me, and it's going to be fantastic. I think it's actually probably great if you took out the the roll to move part, and you like had a little Put bit a of spinner? control over going through. <laughs> yeah, balance it out with a spinner. Then it's dexterity. <laughs> <laughs> the hate for spinners is just fantastic i love it i mean the the new version if you played the new version of life or recent i guess maybe it's a decade old now but if you spin it too hard it jumps off the board it flies oh, away yeah. yeah what's that count is that automatically a 10 am i doing great because i'm so powerful i always just just decide when it comes off the game's over and i just pack it back <laughs> up that's what i tell my son oh this game's over you know. we all win yeah was it the brothers murph they have that hilarious video on how to play the game of life. He takes off the shelf. And he goes, it's easy. You don't. And he puts it back on the shelf. And that's the end of the video. <laughs> <laughs> so your design competition is open as of right now. Yes. Opened uh, a couple days ago. So this is its third year. This is fourth year. Fourth year. I must yeah, have missed the year 18. somewhere in there. Uh, they fly by. Let me tell you. Or maybe I sub- submitted all Three, I don't know. I have, have you submitted? Time. Oh, yeah. So this is the one thing I feel terrible about. So many people submit and so many people have been judges that I forget so many of them. And then I'll be talking to someone like, oh, I submitted a game. I'm like, oh, great. That's good. What was it? Because I, I just can't see it all. And I wish I could. Especially, I feel especially bad for the judges because they're helping me out so much. But I have over 100 judges each year. And I just can't remember who did what. So I just thank everyone because most likely they judged. <laughs> Well, I'm judging this year. I'll be one of the over 100 judges. Awesome. We need a lot more. We're way below 100 right now. So anyone listening, if you want to be a judge, it is super easy to judge. Have you judged before? Is this your first year judging? This is my first year judging. Okay, so this is for you too. Super easy judging. So like the main thing when I designed the contest was I want it to be easy for judges because I was a judge for a bunch of contests before. It's a lot of work. So I said, I'm going to make it super easy. You only have to judge one game. And submission videos are going to be two minutes long. So as a judge, you watch a two-minute video and give feedback. Now there's sell sheets, so it might take you an extra minute. But super easy. Like 15 minutes of your time, and you've been a judge. So sign up. Have some fun. People love it. All the judges say, some of the judges say, (laughs) they really enjoyed seeing the other games. A lot of judges don't talk to me. So they just do their judging and move on. I'm telling you, though, I'm excited you made some changes this year. I think the biggest change that I'm excited for is that you broke them out into weights. Yeah, that's that's something that's been asked like the last couple of years is splitting it up in some way. And I was like, I'd love to, but I don't really know how. Like I did categories one year where it didn't separate the judging, but it was just so people could look at it. I was like, what is a family game? What is a dexterity game? How are those comparable? Uh, So I think weight makes the most sense. No, I, I think so. My business partner and I, we design a lot of lightweight to medium weight games. They're hard to compete against. Like, how do you really compare Vino Morte to Terraforming Mars? Exactly. 
I mean, they're both great games, but one takes five minutes, one takes a whole evening. And Avita Morte <laughs> is the whole evening, right? At, yeah, because you just can't <laughs> stop playing. You killed me this round, I'm going to poison you next round, I can promise you that. And so I think that dividing it up among the different weights is going to allow a lot more people to to win and to advance and to, you know, get better feedback because, you know, people, judges will probably gravitate more towards what they play, what they like, what they like, that that's, kind of thing. That's what I'm hoping. I mean, the the main reason for this is heavy games have really struggled in the contest. Because like I said, it's a two minute video. Uh, something like Invino Morte, I can play two games in a two-minute video. Something like Terraforming Mars, like, okay, we're on the first page of the rules in a two-minute video. So it's yeah. it's much harder for them to get stuff across. So competing, it's, it's just very different things. But heavy games competing against heavy games, that is a little more balanced. I mean, I think they're still going to have a tough time, but the top heavy game will be the one that moves on, or the top 10 heavy games will move on to the semifinals, and the top three from there to the speed pitching event in the finals. That's going to be an interesting thing too—the speed pitching. Yeah, where you've I mean, got you've got three people, three publishers already lined up, or four. Uh, three have confirmed, and the so the struggle with this, I've got uh, Heather O'Neill running it, who has done this for a bunch of different uh, conventions. She does it for Nunpub, and I think Metatopia, maybe other ones. I don't remember exactly which. So she's running it. So she has this connection to all these publishers. I am very excited about her putting it all together but I would really love to share more publishers early. Publishers do not set things up nine months in advance <laughs> or six months in advance. Now. So we don't have commitments from a lot yet, but uh, the three that are committed, um, Weird Giraffe Games, Breaking Games, and Talon Strikes Games, they've all been like huge supporters of the podcast and the contest in the past. Breaking Games was one of the supporters for my design day and stuff. So they've all been, great supporters throughout the years for the contest and stuff. So they were very willing to hop on early and I'm sure the rest will come once they have their schedules lined up. I'm hoping to get at least nine publishers, maybe more depending on how the, um, the convention season pans out. Cause this is going to be in October for the speed pitching. And all of a sudden, all of the conventions are happening in the fall. So far they're, they're happening in the fall. We'll see if we'll see how that yeah. goes. So that's the thing, like the schedule is still very up in the air and things may shift around, but um, yeah, I'm hoping to get at least nine, maybe 12 publishers on that. So everyone can get a bunch of, a bunch of feedback and maybe, maybe a deal. Who knows? That's, that's the big hope always. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be, then, then you get the special thank you in the, in the, uh, the, the rule book in the back. <laughs> special thanks to Chris Anderson and the board game workshop. <laughs> well, actually it's, it's nice. Cause now like we're in the fourth year and some of the games that have been in the past are starting to come out like um you just had ellie Dix on your show a couple episodes ago that was, i just listened to that today uh she was a finalist in last year's contest for tessa lee's with the uh, book of villainy that's coming out soon she was a finalist in the first year and then curators which was the winner uh not this past year but the year before so like two years ago yeah i think i just got the kickstarter update that they're shipping or going to shipping or some they're at some part of shipping the game so <laughs> I saw that one on Kickstarter. Yeah, so a bunch of them are, are all coming out now, so it's great like seeing them so early in the process. And I, everyone got a ton of feedback from the contest because that's, that's the other focus besides being easy for judges. It's tons and tons of feedback for everyone. Uh, so it's really nice to know that you helped out and helped move a game to this, this final position. And now they're all coming out together, so it's this wave of things that I can't possibly back them all. But uh, looking forward to seeing them out in the wild. I mean, you can. You can back them all. I literally could not. <laughs> <laughs> but I also do board game reviews for somebody, so I get those games for free. And then I work for Envoy doing their Herald service. I get those games for free. So it's hard to... get a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, exactly. And then I buy all the games that you guys mentioned on the podcast. And then I just kind of... As long as it's fun. <laughs> can't take it with you, right? Oh, uh, absolutely. No, you can't. I guess you can't take the games with you either, but whatever. Yeah, but I'll leave those behind. My son will play the crap out of them. I mean, sure, he'd play, play the crap out of your money, too. I think he'd have more fun <laughs> with the games, to be honest. Like he's uh, he's nine, and his last day of school is this Friday. That early? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. I yeah. envy him. Yeah, we're, we're going till mid 
late June or something. I don't know. Oof. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I was talking with him, my, my son, and I'm like, yeah, we'll go through. We'll find the games that have the solo modes and, you know, I have a whole bunch printed off that are solo modes. A lot of them are button shy games and, you know, get them set up for you so you can have games to play, you know, while I'm at work or mom's got stuff to do. And it's just you will have a whole stack yeah. of games of solo modes that you can play. Universal Rule has a solo mode now. It does. I'm looking forward to trying that someday. I have not tried that yet. I've I haven't even tried the newest deck yet. I've got the third deck and I haven't I haven't even tried that yet. And I'm kind of kicking myself. I'm hoping that I get this new group going at work and we can and I can introduce that game. It takes a little bit of time to explain that game. That's the thing. It's, it's heavy for a button shy game. It it's heavy for just a game. Like there's <laughs> there's a lot going on because orientation of the card matters and you know the follow mechanic yep. and. I've actually, I've never played that game without Chip, like, managing it. So it's always been super convenient for me. But I played the, the original and then I think, like, tested some of the, the um, expansions he was working on. But he was always there managing it, so I've never <laughs> I've had never, to read the rules for that one. I've never played with Chip, so I feel like I'm on the exact opposite end of this. <laughs> it's, it's great, though. Once you, once you get the actions down, it's, if you've played 4X yeah. games before, it's, it flows. That was actually my first introduction to 4X. Like, I, I wanted to play, you know... You never have time to play like Twilight Imperium. It takes a, a day, you know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. so then I, I was listening to your, your podcast when Chip was on and I'm like, no way. No way did he create this <laughs> game out of 18 cards. And so uh, my brother bought it and he had the actual wallet. And we played it to death. <laughs> like I felt bad giving it back to my brother because it was kind of you know like hey you gave this to me and it looked looked brand new but now it <laughs> it got it got some love dude and so then about that time I learned about PMP Arcade because of another uh, Martin from the Print and Play Hideaway was on a podcast talking about PMP Arcade and I'm like what is this waste of what is this <laughs> money suck I'm about to get into and Universal Rule was on there. I bought everything they had. Like, yeah. if it said Universal Rule, I was like, I don't even care. Add to card, add to card, add to card. <laughs> and then I think I picked up Eno in Vino Morte because it was on sale one time for like a dollar. Yeah, and they, I was like, back down to a dollar a lot. And I was like, a dollar? I don't even know what this game is. Bye. And I think then it was I had even a free for a, like, a little while once. And I was <laughs> well, like... I paid a whole dollar for it. <laughs> Best dollar I've spent on a game. I can tell you that. As far as the whole game goes, I couldn't have spent a dollar better. Oh. And I know I gave away my first printed copy. I should think I gave it away at one of those game nights because this group was like loving it. And I'm like, yeah, just take it. And they're like, <laughs> what? I'm like, it, it, it's OK. It's, it's like two sheets of paper. I'm <laughs> it's not going to break me. I can I can go print off another two sheets of paper. You, you guys are fine. And I gave them the game and they were like, oh. I understand. It's a small it's a great group. Game. You can get away with if get away with one sheet. But then I'd have to, you know, count them out. I'm like, mm, it's cool. it's okay. <laughs> I'd like to think that the people that I've showed it to at these game nights have have went and bought it off PMP Arcade. But you know, you never know. Or they got lucky and got the printed version, which is always in and out of stock. You know, he's doing a lot better over there now, getting all of his stuff in stock. Ever since he went pro <laughs> and got his own office now. He's got a lot of stuff in stock. Well, from, from what I hear, it's usually the problem isn't that the games aren't there. The problem is that that website hasn't been updated to know that the games are there. But uh, the funny thing about Invino Morte, it's one of the, or maybe the only game that's constantly in print. And that's, that's kind of how it became a game and survived this long. Is <laughs> because it's only two different cards, they can slip it into the extra space in print runs. So if they're doing a print <laughs> run for a game... You can slip, you know, 15 copies of Invino Morte in there. So it's just, it's been just continually thrown on <laughs> That's awesome. the extra space for like every print run. That's awesome. Like, well, yeah, it is only two cards. It's either wine or poison. I mean. It's like, the whole reason it became a wallet game was because it was just easy to slip into things. Because it was originally the Nano game that came with the Board Game of the Month Club. It was only uh, eight cards because it can, it can shrink down and it works. Yeah. But yeah, he's like, oh, we have some space in these print runs. Could we make it a wallet game? Sure. Not going to turn that down. No. Now it's one of the best sellers. <laughs> so, yeah. Strange journeys. 
it's, yeah, you never know what's going to happen. It's like, what was it, like the year, like Evil Dead was like one of the top selling DVDs behind, or top, yeah, top selling DVDs because DVD players were just now like new to market. But it was like a $5 DVD and everybody bought it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it became like a bestseller, like Pino Morte's bestseller because it's always in stock. Hey, yeah, I don't care why. <laughs> But yeah, I'm looking forward to how many. So with your contest, back back on topic here, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of shift back. It's all on topic. It's all everything's on topic. The last couple of years, you've had, you know, you can say over 100 judges. How how many games have you had submitted? Uh, so it's usually around 100. Uh, the first year we got 87, which I was amazed by. I was thinking 30 or 40. Like I put up cash prizes that year because I was so nervous, like no one would do it. I was still a pretty new podcast. I only started the contest because I didn't have any content for an episode. <laughs> so I, I've talked about this on a few. I thought I talked about it on my podcast too, but um, yeah, I didn't have I didn't have a guest. I didn't have a topic. So I was like, oh, I I need something. And I had just been judging a bunch of contests. I'm like, oh, I could probably make a contest. Literally <laughs> came up with the rules in a week and announced it, and then uh, that became the contest. And then during submissions, I had to go into the hospital for my gallbladder. So I was in the hospital for like the final days of the submissions, which is when 80% of submissions come in. Yeah. So, so that was not stressful at all. Yeah. That's when I think my, mine hit was, uh, right. I'm sure it was. <laughs> right. That's that when was, right. Hit. I remember submitted that first year. I know I did. And we got 87 that first year. What, what game was it? I remember the games more than people's names. A game called Cineplex. A game called Pirates. Maybe Mind Your Business might have been in the first year. Maybe I don't remember the games as well as I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what that says about my game, so. Well, that's the thing. I don't, I don't get to see them all. Like, I'll, I'll check everything quickly as it comes in, but I, I only get to judge maybe 15 things in the first round because I'm too busy managing everything. Sure. But, a, um, I mean, there's a lot get, of back end. It's gotten better. Like, every year I learn later than I wish I did better ways to do things. So that first year, I was like, ah, oh, this is so stressful. I'm doing all this stuff manually. And then afterwards, I'm talking to my friend. I was like, oh, I'm doing all this stuff with spreadsheets and such. He's like, oh, why don't you use pivot tables? I'm like, what's a pivot table? Well, a pivot table is what saves me literal weeks of my life. So pivot tables are great. Look into that if you're doing anything with a spreadsheet. I taught myself pivot tables because I was interviewing for a job. And one of the requirements was to understand pivot tables. So I went to YouTube and learned how to use Excel to make pivot tables so that when the question came up in my job interview of, do you know how to use pivot tables? I could honestly look at them and say, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, pivot tables are amazing. Like, yeah, I, I literally cannot say how much time they've saved me in the last couple of years of this contest. But um, also, I, I dabble in programming a little. Like, I know, I know enough to get myself in trouble, basically. I've managed to automate a lot of the process. So that was... That's one of the big things I learned just at the end of the first year. So getting all the feedback out to people, we generate a lot of feedback. Like last year, we had, I think, over 1,500 feedback forms for the contest. So those all got to be collated into a file for each designer. And we're getting about 100 games a year. And, the, and I send them out to the, the judges, too. So all that is now automated. I get the spreadsheet. I press a button. I have my 250 files. And then I have another merge system for me emailing them out. So I can get everyone's feedback out to them in a day. That's pretty yeah. good. That is pretty good. And I could not survive if I had to do it manually, which I thought is what I was going to do originally. I was like, oh, I'll just copy and paste. That would not work. Not at all. Copy <laughs> yeah, paste has its place, and this is not it. Yeah, I, I would, it would take weeks. It would take weeks for me just to copy and paste if I was focused on it. But I think uh, last year we had 97, and then the middle year we had 107. So there was this this jump up, and then I thought it would go higher, but I think the pandemic shifted everyone's schedule, so it dropped down a bit. But we're, we're consistently around 100. I, that's fantastic. And this year, I'm expecting more because, uh, like we said, it's speed pitching for the finalists, so you get to speed pitch to publishers instead of just getting feedback from playtesters. I don't know. Maybe it'll just be a hundred again. Maybe that is this the the normal number. Maybe maybe that's the maximum capacity right there. Which is fine because I I need a lot of judges, and the less games, the better. <laughs> the less games, the better. Well, I try to I try to hit minimums. That's what my wife says. The less games you have, the better. It's it's true in all sorts of aspects. 
always trying to hit minimum judge counts, especially in round one. That's when everyone gets feedback. So yeah. last year we were able to hit 15 judges per game. It's good. But we have double the games. I got to get a lot more judges. <laughs> so anyone listening to this, if you want to sign up to be a judge, it's really easy to judge. You just go to theboardgameworkshop.com, click on the design contest link at the top. Right at the top of that page, it says, become a judge or something like that. <laughs> click here to be a judge, sign up to judge, whatever I wrote. Click that. You fill out a form. Simple stuff. Uh, all I need is your email and your name. And then if you want to be on the judge page, you can upload a picture, your Twitter, whatever you want. It's all optional. You can be totally anonymous. I have to know your name, obviously, but I will not give that out. Uh, you don't have to be on the website. You don't have to give your name to the designers on your feedback. So you can be totally anonymous if you just want to give feedback. But yeah, sign up to judge. I definitely need judges. <laughs> we, we need 300 judges. I actually, I hit 200 last year. Holy year before. smokes. But not everyone follows through and ends up judging. But I did have 200 people signed up to judge at one point. I was very excited. That's but a only lot. like 170 ended up judging. Which still, is still a lot. I'll say that's a lot of judging. It's a lot of good feedback. And, and being a designer myself, you can never have too much feedback. You can have bad feedback. But you so, can't have too much feedback. I have, I have heard you cannot have bad feedback. You, oh, you can, can have negative feedback you can have feedback that is wrong but none of it's bad okay okay well i mean you can have feedback that doesn't like we've had feedback for some of our games that just it's not helpful like you can have non-helpful feedback yeah and you get that you know like somebody will sit down I, and play okay, a game. I believe you can have bad feedback yeah because like you'll sit down and i you know like our game fences is a tile laying game you know, everybody likes to equate it to Carcassonne because it's a tile laying game. So therefore, every game that's tile laying is Carcassonne. Makes sense. Yeah, and Why so make a second one? yeah, ex- <laughs> if that's the case, every game's made unless you come up with something completely new. And so we get kind of halfway through the game, my explanation, which is only like three minutes long, and they're like, uh, "I don't, I don't like tile laying games." Well, that's not a helpful feedback like you don't like you don't like telling that's fine but like to say I mean, like, it's better to know at the beginning than at the end yeah i mean but for you to be like yeah this game is dumb it's a tiling game i don't like tiling game like, that's not good <laughs> feedback like <laughs> thanks i don't like games by people named adam yeah why, why would that even be a thing <laughs> i'm sure it is for somebody <laughs> somebody out there's like oh any game designed by an adam i'm nope <laughs> not gonna happen well, only if it's a tile land game. Well, I'll play anything else by an atom, but not a tile land game. <laughs> now we're really getting into the real fine, <laughs> fine print of, of hate there. You know, real specific, funneled it down. That's where your pivot tables come in handy. You keep funneling it down. Exactly. You're like, okay, I need every column with an atom and a tile land. <laughs> and that game, terrible. Moving on. <laughs> so, you, so you've entered the contest every year, you said, which... Thank you. That's great. Yeah. But um, how, how'd you feel about the feedback? I love feedback about my contest more than I love feedback about my games. So anything you want me to improve, let me know. Well, the first year I know we, we were very under, we didn't go into the, into the contest with full understanding and of pitch Neither video. Did I. Yeah. <laughs> and so a lot of the feedback that year was that we didn't have anything to show, anything like that. So my biggest feedback being my list that you wants to design a game is you got to have some kind of working prototype. Yes, I've started telling people that because all of the judges keep telling me that. Yeah, and that was the biggest feedback we got the first year. Then after that, I think the feedback the last couple of years has been good. So I reviewed a game for a guy. His game, his game was called Chlorination. Like chlorinate like chloride you know chlorine in a pool it was a swimming game i didn't think anything of it like the game was great i thought nothing of the name but then his kickstarter like bomb which is sad because the game was fantastic yeah he kept saying like the biggest feedback that he kept getting was to change the name and it was funny because that was one of the biggest feedbacks the year that one year we entered it into the contest was that our game name was terrible. And I think it was just like, I think we just called it like pirates. Cause we didn't really have anything else at the time, <laughs> but like 
the when the biggest feedback, I would say more than half the judges, their feedback was you got to get a better name. <laughs> so I guess my my feedback to anybody listening is make sure you have a better name than a one word title unless it's some incredible word. Because even with our game fences, we have a lot of people say, you know, I oh, might want to come. You know, you should have had a, a different name or a better name. And like, but the whole game's about fencing in animals and so like fences was just like such a logical name for us you should call it something like groups of animals surrounded by fences yeah 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 him and the animals with fences well, that's <laughs> too long of a name well i can't make you happy it's either too short of a name too long of a name but uh i guess i i didn't realize going into competitions that but then my game cineplex that was never a comp it was never you know this name is stupid. Like everybody's like, "Hey, Cineplex, okay." But it was, <laughs> it was just so funny. Like pirates, I get it. Okay, it was like one word, you know, pirates. And there's so many pirate themed games out there. But um, so I think right now we're calling it Seven Seas or Battle of the Seven Seas or something pirate themed. That was one just of the biggest some piratey feedback. thing. Some piratey thing, and that's like the biggest feedback we got from the competition was, you know, have the proto have a prototype. Um, go to the game crafter, do some cheap artwork. Even if you don't own the artwork, it's not going to be sold. Go get some clip art, some image files, make something that looks halfway decent. So you have a, a workable play, you know, playable prototype in front of you while you discuss the game and have a decent name. That's, you yeah, know, maybe. actually a couple of years ago, I wrote an article on uh, how to write a short game description, because that's one of the things you get to write your your 500-word description, mm-hmm. 500-character description, which people always get mad about that. They say it's too short. They want more time. But no, you got to cut it down. Be quick. We don't have time. So I wrote an article about just ways to do that, and one of the parts of that is because part of the short description includes the name, and my advice is to come up with a good name. I don't know how, but you should do that. It has to be recognizable, easy to spell, Totally unique, but very simple. And also encompass the entire feeling of your game, hopefully in only a few words. No pressure. Something like <laughs> pirates would be good. Yeah. Pirate. We had an exclamation mark, man. Like, we thought that was... Only be- one? <laughs> there, there's the problem. We didn't have more than one. Three. Three exclamation marks means pirates. Oh, that, that would have you know, I oh, don't know. Only one, you're just a guy in a boat. Yeah. <laughs> but if you have three, you've got a peg leg and a parrot and you're moving forward. <laughs> oh man. I, it's yeah. I mean that, that was so funny because then I, like I felt the pain of this guy in his game chlorination that people weren't backing because the name wasn't catchy enough, but I'm like, and that's too bad because the game itself was great. And people, it, it's funny. Cause we had, so fences is, you know, like I, I keep talking about my game, but like, we had an artist do, so we had a, a pledge level where you could get drawn as a character in the game. And we had, so I'm from St. Louis. We had another St. Louis guy, did all the artwork for us. Fantastic guy. Um, we had some people, their feedback was, the artwork on the characters is terrible. That's that's the thing you get sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but does that affect the gameplay? Does that, you know, <laughs> I get it. You hate the character. Like the one guy actually said he, this is no joke. He took his cup and set it over the character's face. So he didn't have to look at it. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, we are really getting, you know, you really don't like the, and I'm like, which is so funny because most of the feedback we get is like, man, the art, the art works great, but that doesn't affect the gameplay itself. Like, did you like the game, how it worked? You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's tough. And people will point out, all sorts of flaws that don't matter in a lot no. of instances. Well, and so, but then sometimes they they come up, they, they have an idea or they suggest something that you've been too close to this game too long and somebody from the outside looking in has this idea that just blows your yeah. mind. And you're like, what? Oh, why didn't I think of that? It makes so much sense, but it's because you were... You were going down this path. And so a lot of the feedback we received from pirates, we have made a lot of changes that, you know, based on their, you know, the feedback we got from the competition. 
And that's why I think entering these competitions, we get the feedback is great because it does make your game better, your design better. And it doesn't mean you have to take all the feedback. That's that's an important thing to point out. Like they get 15, and some of the games are very, what's the word, when it goes both ways? Polarizing. There we there go. There you go. Some of the games are really polarizing. And like I'll get feedback from the designers about their feedback in the, the um, surveys and stuff. They'd be like, yeah, some people said this and some people said that. And they're like competing feedback saying like, oh, like, like you're saying, like the art is great. Like the art is terrible. The art's the worst thing about your game. I love the art. I would buy it without the game. And you're like, how am I supposed to put these together? But the thing is you don't. You just, no. you listen to people. Some people are your audience. Some people are not. Do things that make it good for your audience and don't care so much about the other people. And, and that's sometimes what you see now on Facebook on all the uh, board game design feedback or board game design groups on Facebook. Yeah. You see a lot of people put up A, B. You know, do I do A? Do I do B? Or, you know, is the artwork good? Yes. No. And they, and they just kind of like, you know, they, they trickle it down. And whether they end up taking it, I don't know. I don't usually follow all the way to the end. But, you they, know. They go on for a while with the feedback there. Which is great. Oh. The groups are great. But once you hit 300 comments, I'm not following it anymore. Oh, my gosh. So, no kidding. So, I was on the Board Game Geek page. And I just typed a question. Do you play board games with your coworkers at lunch? <laughs> and my goal was to try to find other people like me that play games with their coworkers and just interview them instead of instead of other people in the industry, right? Like I've interviewed, you know, you, you're a podcaster. I've had designers, I've had artists, I've had my my favorite thing to say is I've had a cross-stitch design person on. <laughs> Which, by the way, if Katie Pierce is listening, it is the number one listen-to episode of my entire <laughs> podcast. Because cross-stitching uh, is much more popular than board games. Hey, you know, whatever. I don't. It's it's just so funny to me. Like it spiked the week it came out, and it has just always just kind of always sits down there <laughs> in like the like the top five. It's always there. But I thought you know it'd be kind of fun to find other people like me that board game at launch and talk to them about their board gaming habits. And man, the, some of the comments, it's just like, do you have nothing better to do <laughs> with your time? <laughs> like, you know, what's a lunch hour? Ooh, I wish I had a job like yours. Uh, I have a lunch hour, man. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. You don't, I don't yeah. take lunch. <laughs> I, I, I only have 30 minutes. Well, that, Listen to my podcast because I talk about 30 minute games too, you know, but I don't, you know, oh, we got in trouble because we tried to play Twilight Imperium. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, if you sit around and troll people on, <laughs> on the Board Game Geek Facebook page, probably have time to play a game at lunch. <laughs> well, they're so busy with the trolling. It takes up so much. <laughs> but, you know, like you said, like feedback, you just you got to take it and leave it. Take what you want. Leave what you don't. So if anybody wants to reach out to you, Chris, how can they do that? Lots of ways. So I'm on Twitter. Uh, BGS on Twitter is my... I was originally going to be a company, but it's not a company anymore. It's just my personal Twitter. The BG Workshop at Twitter is the uh, the podcast, which I don't... I generally just post things about the contest at this point and when a new episode drops. Uh, TheBoardGameWorkshop.com is where you can sign up for the contest, sign up to be a judge, see all the episodes of my show. I'm um, coming up on episode 100. I've got no actually, way. Technically, I've recorded 100 episodes, but one of them I didn't number because it was the AMA for the contest last year. And the reason I didn't number it is because I did it in the middle of a five-part series of. Now I'm blanking on this. I'm terrible at names, by the way, people. So if I forget your name, <laughs> and I have a YouTube, it's because I'm just terrible at names. Um, crap, Jeff something. But anyway, he came out with a book that I'm also forgetting the name of. But he did a five-part. He probably doesn't listen to this anyway. And if he does, he won't know who he is because I don't remember his name. <laughs> anyway, I came out with a game design book, which um, he did a five-part series on the podcast, just uh, like short little contributor episodes talking about like each section of his book. And I did the AMA in the middle of that, and I didn't want to interrupt the numbering for his five-part series. So I released it as not a numbered episode. So technically I've recorded 100, but only 99 numbered episodes, two of which haven't been edited yet. One of those is like a three-hour talk 
about the meaning of art. And it is a beast, and I'm not looking forward to editing it, but it's amazing content, and someday it'll be out. But then, episode 100, that's next, and I want it to be special. But also, I'm falling behind, and I probably just have to record some random episode. <laughs> that happens. That happens. But all that's on theboardgameworkshop.com. That was the point of that. <laughs> well, thank you, Chris, for taking time out of your uh, evening to be on my show. I really yeah, thank appreciate you for having it. Me. This is great. I look forward to uh, judging for you this year because um, I, you know, I like to see what's out there. You never know what's going to strike me, you know, as a game that I'm like, oh, my gosh. And you never know what will strike any other judge. So who knows? You can reach me at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Eat Lunch and Board Game or email me at Eat Lunch and Board Game at gmail.com. And remember, board games build bridges. Average Joe's Gaming is a weekly podcast brought to you by us. I'm Joe. I'm Tom. We talk about all things game-related. In this hour-long podcast, you'll discover what has arrived in the game room, which Funko Pop Tom just could not resist, and maybe, if you're lucky, we might get around to talking about games. Might. Tune in weekly. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast formats. When you're gaming, why not be comfy? Go over to supportplayer.org. Click on the cards, pieces, and dice to get some merch. These t-shirts are some of the most comfortable I have ever worn. That's supportplayer.org, and there's a link on eatlunchandboardgame.com.